I got the lapel mic on. Look out. I felt the Lord telling me to get away from my notes today. I'm going to be preaching the same message. Um, but Scott told me to speak something from my heart, and I feel the Lord is telling me to do that and not Microsoft Word. So um, I want to talk today about family. Um, as our sermon theme has, our, our service theme hopefully has made clear. Um, why? Why is family um, the topic of my sermon today? Um, well, the first and foremost is that family is on my mind a lot these days, um, unsurprisingly. I have two little ones, and when you're raising children, they take up a lot of your focus, and just as much of your reflection, especially if you're trying to raise them to know and love the Lord. Another reason why I chose to speak on family is because of my job here at the church. Um, a big part of what I do is family. Um, I help administrate Sunday school and child care, things along those lines. Uh, prayerfully, we're going to be um, having more opportunities to minister to families this coming year. It's something that I've been putting thought into that we've been having conversations about. Um, and so family is also an appropriate topic for that reason. Um, also, it's a new year tomorrow. Um, and our family is going into a new year. And our families are going into a new year. And when we think about that, I know that there are a lot of different thoughts going on that go with it, a lot of different emotions. Family means different things to different people in this room. We all have different family experiences, different family dynamics. Some of us are excited for the new year. Some of us might be dreading it. Some of that might be in relation to family. Some of us may feel connected to this family, and some of us might not. So family is kind of a big deal. Family is also a big deal in Scripture. We understand that part of what God is doing in the world is reclaiming a people for himself to live in community as family. That's what we saw playing out in Acts chapter 2. And that's why I chose this scripture. It is a scripture that is, to some degree, an ideal. At least it sounds so. But we certainly know it's not the reality. Even that church family had its flaws. It was full of people. How could it not? So do our churches. So do our families. But I want to bring some encouragement this morning. A reminder that's probably not new and dynamic, but that's so needed. It's something we need to cling to. First off, I want to encourage us that we are where we are because of what God has done. Both in our home families and in our church family. And there's a lot of amens that were just said. It can be often a pretty easy statement to react to as a Christian. But it's not always so easy to live out when we start thinking about our families. Church, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We in this room sin against we in this room. 
This church has its weak areas, its blind spots. So does every church. And we certainly know our home families are no different. They can be very dysfunctional. They can be full of pain rather than joy. It's a lot harder to say, God's put me here, when you're a couple that can't have children. Or when you're watching your teens grow up and turn away from the Lord. Or when your spouse is an unbeliever. Or when you're alone. And you really don't know how to see yourself living alone as a family at all. Family means different things to different people. But we are where we are because of what God has done. Think of Acts 2 here. Think of this community. Right? These are people from all over the world. This, this section happens directly after the day of Pentecost, directly after Peter preaches to the crowds by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came upon the disciples in the upper room in power and gave them boldness to preach. But it was also the work of the Spirit that led the people to hear. In verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, we read that they were cut to the heart. And it doesn't matter how good of a preacher you are, or how good of a speaker you are, or how charismatic you are, only God can cut to the heart. Right? Only God can, can get down deep beneath all the defenses that we build up and all the walls that we build around our little kingdoms that serve us and show us that He is the one that we need to devote ourselves to. Only God can do that. And He did that here in Acts 2. He changed their lives. And we read that. All those things they devoted themselves to, all of those actions and habits and lifestyle, what they were devoting themselves ultimately to was God. They were devoting themselves to him. They were where they were at because of what God had done. Do we think of our own lives that way? That might make some of us angry to think of our lives that way. Because our lives are full of pain. Because our lives are full of regret. Because our lives are full of disorder. But I invite you to more, this morning to think of your life, even your life in an imperfect world, full of, full of imperfect things, as the opportunity that God is building to work his sovereign grace through you and your family. The opportunity to do unique things in you and your family that he couldn't do through another family, that he doesn't want to do through another family. Your life is in the Lord's hands. And yes, it's an imperfect life in an imperfect world. But God is working in this world. We've seen it played out again and again. Think of his blessings. Count his blessings in your life. Remember what you've learned. See how he's brought you through. And recognize that no matter where you're at in your family life, I know in my family life, I had several years where family was the last thing I wanted to think about where my family were the last people I wanted to be around because there was so much pain. But God worked through it all. God brought beautiful things out of that. God grew in ways that I would not have grown otherwise, and my family would not have grown otherwise. Because of that, he was sovereign. He was working. And even though it's so hard sometimes to accept 
that God is sovereign over evil and allows it, recognize that what God works, he works for good. He works for good because he is good. God is sovereign over your family, and he's brought you where you are for a reason. The same is true for this church family. We've come from things. We each individually are bringing what we've come from to this body. Sometimes that can be challenging. We bring our challenges to the body. We bring our hurts. We bring our sin. And we understand from Scripture that when one hurts, all hurt. You've brought your hurt to this body, and now this body is a part of your hurt. That's okay. God has done that. If you join into fellowship with this body, you get to join into what God is doing in this body. Sometimes that doesn't look how how we expect. No church can be all things to all people. But we can rejoice that this is God's church and not ours. That it's God's work and not ours. And we can find rest in that even if we're not sure if this is the place for us for always. Even if we're struggling to come to terms with this or that or the other thing. Even if sometimes we just don't want to get up on Sunday morning and go to church because of whatever. We're a family because God has made it so. And that is what we can cling to before anything else and through anything else. And we can trust that God is at work here. So let's rejoice in that. The second thing I want to say about family is not just that we are where we are because of what God has done, but that God has already provided for us all that we need us need to get us where he wants us to go. He's already provided it. We don't know what's going to happen in 2024. We've got some ideas, some hopes, some plans, but we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen in our families. We don't know what's going to happen in our own lives. And that can be tough. That can be hard not knowing. Maybe we feel like there's something more for us that we haven't discovered yet. Maybe there is. But God has already provided for us now what we need to get there. The next step. He hasn't provided what we need two steps down the line necessarily or three steps down the line necessarily. And if we're worried about that while we're in a season where we don't have some grand vision or some special calling, we might be looking for the wrong things. Again, Acts chapter 2. Amen. (laughs) This people has been changed already. Right? They've already become a new people. But they have a commission on their lives. And so do we, to go and to make disciples. It's very broad. How? How, how? how do we work that out individually? How does it work in Jerusalem versus in Samaria versus in Antioch versus in Philippi as they continue to grow throughout Acts? They don't know. These 3,000-something here after the day of Pentecost don't know what's coming. And for some of us, not knowing what's coming is really stressful. I like a plan. I like boundaries. I like it all laid out. 
Sometimes I read the terms and conditions. <laughs> Confession time. It's true. Not knowing is hard for me sometimes. And it was probably hard for a lot of them. How were they going to get from the A of just becoming disciples to the B of making disciples? How were they going to fulfill that? A lot of them had no idea what they were getting into. A lot of them were just learning about Jesus for the first time. And they didn't have 2,000 years of Christian history and you know, books that could fill this room to, to fall back on. So what did they do? They did the unglamorous work of following. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, right? Those all sound pretty similar to the things we do today, right? The things that can sometimes feel mundane, the things that we sometimes look at and go, okay, but where is this going? It's not always necessarily about where it's going. This is the Christian life. These ordinary things sometimes take discipline to keep up with. That's why they're called Christian disciplines. But there's another name for them. These things, these ordinary things, these normal mundane things, these are called the means of grace. The means of grace. What that means is that God works His grace through this daily devotion, through this daily discipline. The, the bountiful riches of heaven, the things that we don't deserve but that God's goodness desires to shower into our lives are regularly, ordinarily attained through these things. Not through bright lights from heaven and resounding voices. I don't mean to say that God does not give a special word at a special time. That God does not do the miraculous. And that does not, God does not give the specific calling to the specific person. He absolutely does. But if we try to replace these ordinary means of grace, which are in themselves miraculous, which are in themselves a work of the Spirit, we could not even hear we could not even desire to do these things without the work of God in us. If we replace these things with some sitting on our hands expectation that I have nothing to do until God booms from the heavens or hits me with a lightning bolt or has a flashing neon sign that has my name on it while I'm driving on the highway or I flip open my Bible randomly and it says, hey, there's your verse. If I'm waiting you know, for the wishbone to break or the, or the dice to fall, the little magic eight ball, if those are the things that I am trying to build my life around instead of what God has already given me, I am misunderstanding what the Christian life is. God works in miraculous ways. And he most often works in miraculous ways through things that we see as ordinary. And I would challenge you with some scripture if that's hard for you to believe. Sometimes it is. I have to wrestle with it. Micah 6.8. Micah is doing the same thing that we just saw Malachi doing. He's writing out both parts of the conversation. He's speaking for Israel. He's speaking for God. He's showing the back and forth of what's going on in Israel's heart and how God is responding to it. 
In this section of Micah 6, he does so in an individualistic manner. He uses I for Israel, an individual speaking. So this man who is Israel is asking, what would be acceptable worship to the Lord? Right? What, would be accept- what, what does he want from us? And God responds through the prophet. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? It's pretty broad and maybe a little mundane sounding. How about 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4? His divine power has granted to us all things, has granted, past tense, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He has granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. We already have all we need. How about this answer from Jesus, which is even harder for details guys like me. The crowds ask, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. Boy, that's broad. Boy, that's not specific to me here on the 31st of December in this pulpit in Ellsworth, Maine, you know, going from here and celebrating Christmas this evening with my family, and then tomorrow I have to get up. Boy, I wish it was a little more detailed. This is the work to believe. Finally, from John 15, which is the last passage that I preached from this pulpit, from my notes. um, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. These are, are broad. They, they sound like the grind to some degree. But the grind is how God shapes us. The grind is how God changes us. So don't build your expectation of this year on, gee, I hope God does something new and exciting and miraculous or else I'm just oh, sitting on my hands again. He's already given us what we need. Press into what he's already given you. Because you know what? If you don't, you probably wouldn't be prepared if he did something miraculous anyway. If you, weren't, if you aren't doing what he has already told you to do, why would you expect him to do something outlandish? They're called fundamentals for a reason, to use the sports analogy. Certainly. You can expect it of God that he is able to do the miraculous. But don't expect it of God that he must do the miraculous before you can be obedient to follow him as a disciple. That sounds like a little bit of a lecture, but it's an encouragement. You have all you need. There's nothing missing. Be faithful in what you have, and he will lead you to the next step. He will shape you. That ordinary devotion through his word will show you things that you didn't catch before will lead you to the conviction you need in order to align your life to the Lord. Will give you the conviction and the passion to step into the service that he's prepared you for. 
That's how he works, ordinarily, miraculously, through the power of his spirit and his word. It's beautiful. So let's enter into this year hopeful rather than fearful, rather than dreading. We may not like a lot of where our family's at. We may not be excited for what's to come. Let's be confident that we are where we are because of what God has done and that God has provided us all we need to get us where he wants to go, where he wants us to go, both in our families at home and our family here. That's why we can sing as we close out this service. Church arrives. We can sing a call to action. We can enter this new year boldly, confidently, triumphantly, because it's God's work and it's God's triumph and it's already been assured. God builds beautiful families. They don't always look how we want. They don't always go where we want. They're God. And God is good. Let's worship.